0: Seated, and um, praise the Lord. God is good. I want to start off first of all just by encouraging you to come if you can to our Sunday school class on Sunday mornings. An extra hour of time to spend in God's Word, and and uh, I just feel that's that that is our life. The Word of God is our life, and this is the topic that we've been studying. Uh, we've been studying how to treasure God's Word and just appreciate it a bit more. So I encourage you to come if you can. Uh, we have coffee, donuts. I think this coming week we're going to be having lobster and shrimp. <laughs> or you'll be there. Oh, what is that? Well, maybe one morning we'll do something special like that, right? Okay. But it's, it's a good time and a real feast, of course, I hope, is and I pray it will be God's Word for us. Amen. Well, I'd like to continue what we shared, started sharing last week and um, <clears throat> sharing about Mephibosheth. Can you all say Mephibosheth? It's not a name that you want to name your child, okay? Do not name your children or do not encourage your children to name your grandchildren Mephibosheth. It's not a very good name, but the story about him is very special. So we want to study that tonight. And what brought this teaching to my mind was as pastor was teaching us for two weeks in a row about the the, the grace, I'm sorry, the, the difference between mercy and favor. And of course, with the emphasis on favor and how, how we can receive God's favor. And what really began to touch my heart is that when you look at the mercy and how abundant and what God's mercy does for us, then we can say like Paul often says in his letters, how much more will the favor of God do in our lives? So the story of Mephibosheth is a story of God's loving kindness. Loving kindness is a word used several times in the Bible to actually uh, translate the word hesed, which is a Hebrew word. If you can put those two Hebrew words up there, we saw this last week, they're just... These two words are, are very special to understand um, because in English we only have one word of mercy and it kind of has the idea of feelings, you know, pity or sorrow or looking down on someone and saying, oh, that poor fella and we feel compassion or mercy on them. Well, that is one word in the Hebrew and that's the word kanan and it means to bend or stoop down uh, to an inferior. Mercy, pity, compassion. But the other word that's very, very often translated as mercy in the Old Testament. Now, this is uh, Old Testament is in Hebrew. New Testament was written uh, mostly in Greek. But the Old Testament Hebrew, another word that's used many more times and with much more uh, uh, deliberation in it, is the word hesed. Can you all say? <sighs> <laughs> it's got that guttural sound to it, okay? Uh, I don't know much Hebrew, but I've heard uh, a few of them talking. That's kind of how it's like you're clearing your throat there. <laughs> chesed. And it, Chesed means covenant love, it's God's covenant love. And the difference between these two very simply is that Hanan mercy is based on circumstances. In other words, you see someone in a messed up situation, you just feel compassion for them. And thank God he saw us, God saw us in our messed up situation. Amen? And he had compassion on us. But Chesed mercy is not based on circumstances. It's based on something that pre, it's, it's pre-circumstantial. It's before the circumstances ever took place. It's based on a covenant. And that covenant we have, uh, of course, is through Jesus Christ. And uh, Old Testament covenant was very important. Even man's covenant was held in high regard in the Old Testament times. And uh, so on. So it's very important to understand that. Chesed is covenant love. We explained that it's the idea of a covenant is different than a contract. Contract has your ins and outs and loopholes and all kinds of things, uh, conditional. But covenant is not like that. A covenant is until death do we part. How many understand that marriage is a covenant? See this. This country doesn't understand that. This country thinks that marriage is just a contract. You sign it and with all the conditions. Well, you know, and if things don't work, can you imagine saying your wedding vows to your uh, to your husband or wife? And you're saying, "Oh, I promise to cherish and love you, and take care of you, and better or for worse." And but if things don't work out, I'll say goodbye to you. You see, would that sound like good vows to say on a wedding day? No, you don't do that. But that's basically how people think nowadays. See, marriage is not a contract, it's a covenant, and it, God honors it like that also. Of course, there are situations and God uh, does understand circumstances that we've been in and things that make this living in this world difficult, but we need to understand God's way of keeping promises. When God says something, it stands forever. Can you say Amen. God doesn't change his mind and say, whoops, I, I don't really think I should have promised that. I'll, let me do something different today. No, God has a covenant love for us. So this is what we were looking at. And, and I wanted to talk a little bit about favor. We're going to get back to the, the Mephibosheth story, but some of the ideas of favor just kind of really blessed me as I was considering it. And uh, look with me, and uh, just a few verses we'll run through quickly. Uh, one of the things that Pastor Joe had shared with us is that uh, mercy... Mercy is God's acceptance of us. He receives us. We're received by mercy. But the favor of God promotes or lifts us up to another level. And uh, that we need to obtain. Mercy is given regardless of our state. God has that mercy. But favor is something that we need to win. In fact, even Paul in Philippians, he says that I might win. Him, I want to win Christ. You see, that's different, you see. Uh, we, 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 we have salvation as a gift of God's mercy. But then in turn, like Paul says, I want to apprehend or I want to get my hands on him who first got his hands on me. Look at that in Philippians uh, Philippians chapter 3, look at that verse, the way Paul speaks here. And this is the idea that God wants to instill. in this, this is the, the idea of the message of, uh, of, of mercy versus favor. Two messages that the pastor shared on that. And if you haven't heard them, please, you know, check out the website. The messages are posted there, or you can ask uh, for a copy of it. Uh, we sell those on Sundays. Philippians chapter 3, this is what Paul says here. <clears throat> he says, verse 13 He says, brethren, I count, I'm sorry, verse 12, excuse me, Philippians 3, verse 12. He says, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. But I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which I also am apprehended of Christ Jesus. You see that? Uh, uh, he says, I haven't apprehended yet. But what he's saying here in verse 12 is that, basically apprehend or to get your hands on something. He said, I want to get my hands on him who first got his hands on my life. I want to win. He won my heart. Now I want to win his heart. You see? And that's the whole concept of favor. Look with me um, uh, back in, in Psalms 84 and verse 11, a precious scripture here. Psalms 84, 11 says this. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. Let's put this in the NIV. I forgot the, the translation there. Uh, the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows, what does it say up there? Favor and Honor. Of course, the examples given to us uh, concerning that favor of God was, for instance, with Esther. She obtained favor in the eyes of the king, and she, was, she, she, was, uh, she, was, she pleased the king, and so he took her as his bride. And then later on, because again she obtained favor in his sight, her enemies were destroyed. When God's favor is upon you, your enemies will be defeated. Amen? We'll look at a verse like that in just a moment. But he gives favor and honor. And also with Joseph, he was promoted in every situation, regardless of how the enemy knocked him down in the midst of that situation. Instead of complaining and getting upset about the circumstances, he reached out and he apprehended the heart of God and God lifted him and promoted him and blessed him and blessed everybody around him. That's an abundant life, amen? Not just so we can have an abundance, but that the extra overflow touches people around us, you see. So that's what it's all about. And then um, uh, look with me also in uh, Psalm 89, verse 15. <clears throat> Another way to understand favor, and this is a... Uh, 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 let's put this in, um, uh, verse, in King James now. We'll switch back to King James language. Here we go. I like this in King James. Let's read it together. Blessed is the people that know the... what joyful sound they shall walk O lord in the light of thy countenance countenance of course means god's face and another understanding of this word favor and as you read through psalms and other places especially in the old testament you'll see uh, david talking about uh lord let your face shine upon me see that's favor That's God's favor, his face shining on us. We've done something that has gripped his heart, has touched his heart, and he shows us favor like that. So blessed are the people that know how to walk in that joyful sound and have God's face shine upon him. And then down to verse 17 of the same psalm. Psalms 89, 17, for thou art the glory of their strength, and in thy favor our horn uh, shall be exalted. A King James way of saying, our strength shall be exalted or lifted up. Amen. And uh, here's one I really like. Uh, well, don't see. Okay, let's, let's look at this one in, in Proverbs 16, in verse 15. Proverbs 16, 15. Here's a precious scripture. In the light of the king's countenance. Who is our king? Amen. Jesus. In the light of the king's countenance is life. And his favor is as a cloud of the latter rain. And in the same chapter, look at this about our enemies being defeated. In Proverbs 16, verse 7. When God's favor is upon you. When his favor is upon you, when a man's ways please the Lord. See, when you please the Lord, you make his face shines. It beams down upon you. When you see his face shining, it brings, just brings strength into your soul. But when a man's ways please the Lord, what does he do? He makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Do you have any enemies today? Well, there might be some on your workplace, maybe some in your own home. But the real enemy is who? The, the devil, right? But we know that even when things aren't going our way and people seem to rise up against us, It says that God, when we choose to walk in the way that pleases God, God can turn it around so that even our enemies will be at peace with us. Do you like that promise? I like that promise, and, and, and I want to just put this in the, uh, read this in the message Bible. i don 't think we have that in the, uh, in the back there, but the message Bible is kind of a, a loosely paraphrased version, but some of the comments some of the ways of translating are very fresh and, 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 and encouraging. It says this in the message Bible for Proverbs 16 seven. It says, "When God approves your life, even your enemies will end up shaking your hand." <laughs> How do you like that, huh? Even your enemies will end up shaking your hand. Think about that. All right. So those are some scriptures. And boy, I just want to share one more verse. uh, uh, Proverbs 18, verse 22. Here's a good way to get favor. My wife was here a little bit ago. I wanted to share this while she was here, but she slipped out. Whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing and what? Obtains What? favor from the lord so i thank god for my wife husbands thank god for your wives because of them you got favor from god amen you can claim that favor for your life well there's a lot to share about that but let's go to this again to back to the story of mephibosheth i want to go through the thoughts and how many were with us last week when we we shared that Uh, were you here last week i showed a little video I don't know if you saw it. If you didn't see the video, uh, let me know after the meeting. It's a short little six-minute video about Mephibosheth, and, and uh, I can tell you where you can see that online. But um, uh, what I wanted to, what we want to share about is this idea of Mephibosheth. And there's just a few things I wanted to go through. Uh, I believe tonight's supposed to be like Bible study. And I'd like to just go through a few points so you can, we can all be on the same page here. The story of Mephibosheth, it's all uh, uh, it kind of... Uh, unfolds for us in 2 Samuel 9. But there are some events in some history, a brief history, that I would like just to take you through quickly, just so you can appreciate really what was happening to Mephibosheth, okay? Now, first of all, to understand, Saul was Israel's first king. He reigned for 40 years, and most of those years he spent trying to kill King David, or of course. David wasn't sitting on the throne as king, but God had already anointed him to be king. And Saul spent those years, most of them, searching after David, trying to kill him, trying to get rid of him. There was a jealous rage, and an insane rage in Saul's heart, and he just tried to get rid of him. So you'll see that through uh, 1 Samuel 10 to chapter uh, 31, where Saul actually ends up dying. You'll see that story of uh, Saul chasing after David in the wilderness. Many of David's psalms were written during this time, did you know that God gives songs in the nights? Did you know that? In a time of darkness and situations, that's when God gives the most precious songs. to you. And I'm not talking about God giving you a song where you can make it big on the top 10, you know, hit <laughs> songs. I'm talking about a song of life that blesses others. God will give you a song during those times. Okay, second point I want to show. Um, King Saul and his son, Jonathan. And in chapter 31, they both die in battle. There's a lot that happens there. Uh, David did not rejoice when Saul died. You all know that? He never put his hand, even a few times. One time he put his hand out to try to kill Saul, uh, or not kill Saul, but just he, he took one of Saul's garments in a couple times, and David's heart bothered him. He was very sent. He did not want to touch the Lord's anointed. He had great respect for the, the man that was anointed of God, even though uh, this man was having all kinds of serious problems. But when Saul died, and of course Jonathan too, uh, David did not rejoice. He did not rejoice. In fact, the man that came all cheerfully to David saying, hey, guess what? Your enemy's dead. I helped kill him. Uh, David put that man to death. He was very upset about it. That's the way David was. He honored position that God gave. Very important to understand that. Anyway, Saul and his son Jonathan die in a battle. Now, next thing is uh, David is made king by the tribe of Judah only. We see that starting in 2 Samuel. Uh, there were twelve tribes of Israel. Only the southern tribe of Judah was the one that made David uh, 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 honored him as king. The rest of the tribes of Israel stayed with King Saul's family. King Saul had a son named Ishbosheth, and he was made king by Abner, who was Saul's commander in chief. And you'll read there in Second Samuel three one that there was a long drawn out war between. It's called the house of Saul, which would have been of course Ish. Ishbosheth, Saul's son, and the house of David, and uh, there was like a there was war going on. Well, the next thing that happened is this very tragic, but what took place is between Abner. See, Abner was the one who made Ishbosheth king. Abner was a cousin of Saul's. Abner was. Um, he uh, was the commander in chief of the army and uh, a very skilled warrior, and uh, he's the one who took Ishbosheth and made him to be king. He sat him on a throne, and he got everybody rallied up around Ishbosheth. Uh, at least the other tribes, the tribe of Judah, stayed with David, but. What happened is between Ishbosheth and Abner, there was a big argument. You see it in chapter 3 there of 2 Samuel. And Abner gets all angry. He says, Okay, if that's the way you're going to be, I'm going to go support David. So he left Ishbosheth and he ran over to support David. Well, in the process, some other unfortunate things take place. And David's men didn't realize what Abner was doing. And David's men, being the the, the warriors that they were, standing up for David, even though they were not always uh, in in favor, David was not in favor with what things they did, uh, Abner is killed by David's men. They thought they were protecting David. And Abner was really going there to support David and say, hey, David, I'm on your side. Well, Abner was killed by two. uh, Abner was killed by. some of David's men. David was very sad about that also. Then, shortly thereafter, Ishbosheth is assassinated by two of his own captains. So, just a horrible, horrible ending. It's better to do things God's way, don't you think so? Better to do things God's way. Well, finally, at the end, there we see uh, that the rest of the tribes join Judah and they accept David as their king. So, this is the situation that we come to in 2 Samuel chapter 4. And go to the next page, next slide there. Just a little history. But, you know, when you understand the background of some of these scriptures, it just gives more meaning to the situation. So it says that when the news came about Saul and Jonathan, and uh, this is also shortly, uh, they're in a situation of Ishbosheth and and all that. When the news came, what happened is that Mephibosheth was a little five-year-old boy, and his nurse picked him up to, to run and escape for her life. And what happened in the process, she dropped this little boy and he became lame on both of his legs. Now his name is Mephibosheth. Let me all hear you say Mephibosheth. Yeah, okay. And then, uh, so we see this situation. Now, now next screen. <clears throat> next slide. The word Mephibosheth, like we said, it's not something you want to call your children. It's not a name you want to call your children by. Mephibosheth means breathing out shame. Literally, it means breathing out shame. Just like a, oh, a dispel of a, of a sigh of shame. And it uh, means a shameful thing. And what took place at this point is Mephibosheth's tragedy thrust him out of the palace luxury to live as a fugitive from the king he is so afraid of. Go to the next screen. That brings us to 2 Samuel 9. And just to show here in the next slide, what we see is that David now, his kingdom has been established. We've come to chapter 9 of 2 Samuel. David's throne has been established. Some years have gone by. He's had uh, different things take place. But now that he's sitting on his throne and there's peace, wars are pretty much over, what takes place is David says, uh, is there anyone that I can show Kindness to the kindness of God, too. And there was a servant of the household of Saul named Ziba, and he gave this information. Can we go to the next slide? Is it working up there? There we go. 2 Samuel 9, 4. This is what he says. The king said unto him, Where is he? Where is Mephibosheth? And Ziba says, Behold, he is in the house of Mekir, the son of Amiel, in a place called Lodibar. What does Lodibar, Lodibar mean? a place of no pasture, just a worthless, no good kind of a place. Anybody lived in Lodi Bar before you came to Christ? Right? Right? What is that? I think Pastor Joe says that's over in Pasadena somewhere, right? (laughs) Deer Park? Okay. (laughs) Down. Okay, so Lodi Bar. And this is where this is where Mephibosheth, he ran to the... Now, remember, he was Jonathan's son. Jonathan would have been, really, the next king uh, um, after King Saul. He would have been in line to be the next king. And, of course, but he died in battle with Saul. And his son, Mephibosheth, was in a royal family. He was raised in royalty. And But what happened is that now, because of... Uh, David and uh, being king. And everybody knew in the house of Saul, there was war between the house of Saul and the house of David. Everyone in Mephibosheth's household knew, hey, this man is, he's surely going to destroy us. He's surely going to kill us. He's going to get rid of us. He doesn't want us around. He's the king. We better run and get out of here. And that was the only thing that that Mephibosheth experienced at five years of age when he became crippled. Imagine the pain of breaking up his legs, uh, having fallen like that, and being crippled. The rest of his, his life, and then fleeing and living in a place out of no, just a, a no good place, living in hiding from King David, not understanding what was really in the heart of David, but he's out there hiding from him. All right, so he lived in a place of no pasture. Okay, go to the next screen, and what we see here is David, uh, starting in verse 1 of 2 Samuel, David asked this question. He says, Uh, Is there any that is left of the house of Saul that I may show him, see that word kindness? You see that word kindness? That's that word chesed. Can you say it with me? Chesed. And that word kindness, uh, that covenant love, he said, I want to show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. See, it had nothing to do with Mephibosheth's situation. He was crippled. Anybody would have seen him. Anybody would have seen a miserable place he lived, a place of no pasture, a miserable place, hiding away from David, living in fear. I'm sure he was maybe like just like bitterness in his heart towards David, just and also fear. When is he going to come knocking at my door? And all of that that was going on in his life. And, and there he was in that situation. Anybody would have had compassion, mercy to see him. David hadn't seen him yet, but he wants to show the kindness of God to anyone that's left of Jonathan because David and Jonathan had made a covenant. I have the verses up there. We looked at it last week. But David and Jonathan had made a covenant many, many years before, many years before. Uh, And this covenant in David's heart stood firm. Just as as an example of God's covenant love, God doesn't change his mind. The Bible says, for all the promises of God are yes and what? Amen unto the glory of God by us. And this is the way God is. And so David says, now I'm looking for the person I can bestow this Chesed, this covenant love, this mercy of God upon who is Where is he at? And of course, they said, of course, this is when they told him that it was Mephibosheth. And look at another way that David describes this kindness. Just to show you that, you know, covenants in the Old Testament were not something taken lightly. Look at the next screen. In 2 Samuel 9, he repeats the, the statement again here. In verse 3, and the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show? What's he call it there? That's the word chesed again. What does he call it? The kindness of God. Now it was a promise that Jonathan and David, it was a covenant Jonathan and David had made with each other, just a man-to-man covenant. But David recognized it as a covenant of God that he had to keep. He had to keep it. He needed to show this mercy, this, this chesed covenant love. And, of course, that's where he found out, well, Jonathan yet has one son, and he's hiding out in a place called Lodibar. By the way, the, the, man's, the house was not even his house. It was a house that belonged to a man named Machir, M-A-C-H-I-R, Machir. You'll see that in the same chapter. It wasn't even his own house, <laughs> nice to have your own house, but living in someone else's house, and this man's name was Machir, and I I found it interesting, and I haven't gotten a revelation on it yet, but I found it interesting that Machir was, uh, uh, the word Machir means salesman, A businessman. So this 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 Mephibosheth was living in the house of some businessman that was probably, you know, charging high rent fees to him the whole time he was there. Just a miserable, miserable situation. But now David's going to show this covenant love to him. And let me show you a few verses about the covenant that we have. Turn with me to Hebrews. This covenant, you know, maybe you didn't realize this, but the word testament and covenant are really similar words. Testament is more of a King James word. You'll, you've heard the expression last will and Testament. It's the same concept. Uh, uh, and actually in the, in the original language, uh, 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 the word covenant and Testament are the same words. And in fact, when we call the Bible the Old Testament and the New Testament, really it could have been called just as easily the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Same exact meaning uh, for us. So Hebrews focuses in on this covenant. And uh, this would be a, a Bible study all by itself to see all that's involved in the covenant now that we have with, through Jesus Christ. In Hebrews chapter 7, starting with verse 19, <clears throat> one of the key words in the book of Hebrews is the word better. 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 It's a comparison word. And you'll see this word mentioned about 11 different times throughout this book and in key places. Uh, it talks about how the blood of Abel speaks better things. Uh, I'm sorry, the blood of Jesus speaks better things than the blood of Abel. And you'll see that word, a uh, better uh, inheritance and a better resurrection. You'll see it several times here. Well, here in Hebrews seven nineteen, it says this, For the law made nothing perfect. Now he's speaking about the Old Testament or the Old Covenants. The old covenant with Israel was this. At Mount Sinai, the people said, we don't want to hear God's living voice. Moses, you go up and just tell us what God says and we'll do it. And God says, okay, well, that's a sad thing for me because I really wanted them to hear my voice. But let it be so for them. Moses, come up to the mountain. I'll give you these commandments. And, of course, that's when he got the Ten, table, the ten Commandments and many, many, many other commandments also. And the covenant, they were called the, table, the two tables of stone were called the tables of the covenant. And the covenant was this. That God gave his law and the people covenanted with God that they would do what the law said. And they would have to live by that. And that was the old covenant, living by the law. That was the best that they had in the Old Testament, was living by the law. And of course, if you break one commandment, we're told in the Gospel and in the book of James, you break one commandment, you're guilty of them all. And so, what god that was the old covenant. Oh, Tell us what to do and we'll do it. Well, that covenant didn't work too well, did it? They ended up breaking all those commandments by the time they came down from the mountain. Well, this is what Hebrews is talking about. The law, or that old covenant, made nothing perfect but the bringing in of a better hope by which we draw near unto God, verse 20. Insomuch much as not without an oath, he was made priest, verse 20. Verse 21, for those priests were made without an oath, but this, let's put this in the NIV so we can see the word there a little differently. This is the same. Verse 21, but he became a priest with an oath when God said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Verse 22, because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. Can you say hallelujah for that? of a better covenant. And if you go with me over to chapter 8 and verse 6, we'll see this again there. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6. But the ministry uh, ministry that Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant which he is a mediator is, is superior to the old one, for it is founded upon better promises. Everybody say better promises. Something, it's better. Everything about it is better because the main thing is that the old covenant was based on the ability of the people to keep the law. That's why the law was weak through the flesh. The new covenant is not based on our ability, it's based on His ability to work the law inside of us. Can you say hallelujah? What a wonderful thing! It's not based on our abilities. It's based on what he does inside of us. Well, how do we enter into a covenant? David and Jonathan, when they made the covenant, it wasn't only with words. They exchanged certain things. That's a study in itself to see the items they exchanged with each other as a part of that covenant. Well, what's the? how do we enter into covenant with with God? Well, we're helpless to do it ourselves. Jesus came and shed his blood in our place. So now, when we come to him as our high priest, through his blood, we heard about the blood on Sunday, amen, through his blood, we're saved, delivered, given new life, and through him, we enter into that new covenant. Water baptism is a step of obedience to be brought into the powers and the promises of that fulfillment. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is called the promise of the Father. The Holy Spirit begins working and writing those laws upon our heart. So very important to understand. This new covenant that we have, it's a better covenant. A better covenant. But let's go back to to uh, Melchizedek. I'm sorry, not Melchizedek. Mephibosheth. And... Continue looking a little bit of what took place here, and I want to just give you some things to think about because this story is powerful, and, and I just wish we could spend you know several weeks going over some of the things that happened in this chapter 9 of 2 Samuel. But let's go to 2 Samuel chapter 9 in verse 5 and put, our, put the PowerPoint up there. 2 Samuel 9 in verse 5. <clears throat> And what David says here, well, just back up a little bit. When David found out about Mephibosheth, when Ziba, Ziba was a a servant of Saul's. When David found out about Mephibosheth, that there was someone that belonged to the family of Saul, a um, family of Jonathan, that he could show chesed love to. He made this statement. Look at this. Or actually, this is what he did, it says here. I I really like it in King James. I put it up here in King James. This is verse 5 of 2 Samuel 9. Maybe we're in a... Yeah. The king, then King David sent. And do you see that word fetch? I don't think other translations say that. I like the word fetch fetch. I just like that expression. It says, then King David sent and fetched him out of the house of Makir. That's, that, that, uh, that's the house where um, Mephibosheth lived. And that's that word I told you meant salesmen or businessmen. He lived in the house of Makir in Lodibar. And he, David sent and fetched him. Let's put the PowerPoint back up there. <clears throat> see if we can see that. Second Samuel. I mean, from the PowerPoint. We have that screen there. There we go. Yeah. Let's see what happens when you bring it down. Poof. There we go. There we go. Then King David sent and fetched him out of the house of Makir. I want you to think a minute about that expression. And let's just call it fetching grace. Everybody say it with me. Fetching grace. (laughs) <laughs> and you need to understand some things about, <clears throat> about Mephibosheth and this fetching grace of God. Wait, There's just some things we need to understand about our state before we came to Christ, to understand the, the depths of God's mercy. I want everyone to understand, first of all, that, that you're not saved, you're not born again tonight, you're not a child of God tonight because your parents were. Can you say amen to that? Uh, God has no grandchildren. Every one of us has to come to him. He has no grandchildren. Uh, uh, that's something that uh, I believe it was, um, uh, maybe Billy Graham used to say something to that effect. He has no grandchildren. Uh, but each one of us has to have our own experience. And when you didn't come to Christ. You didn't get saved. You didn't find him. He found you. Can you say amen to that? I like what it says in Psalms 100. If you uh, won't look at it, but it says, "Know ye that the Lord He is God; it is He that hath made us, and not we ourselves." Can you say amen to that? Uh, and, and there's another scripture. We, again, I don't want to take the time to look at it, but it's in second, second Corinthians. If you wanted to write that scripture down, Second I'm sorry, First Corinthians, chapter four, verse seven. It says, "What do we have that we've not received?" And why should we boast as if we've not received it? That's uh, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7. And so the idea is that everything that God's done for us, he initiated it. Can you say amen? Amen. A person doesn't get saved because they did this or because they did that. God was the first one. We love him because he first loved us. And so understanding God fetched you. God reached out and he fetched fetched you and he brought you here and if we're going to win souls for christ it's important for us to understand that we need to speak the word and jesus told his disciples go to the highways and the byways compel them to come in we're the fetching agents of god's grace you're here because of someone else did you hear what i said You're here because of someone. Now, you may not know who that was. You may think, well, I did it all by myself. No one talked to me. I just came on my, oh, no, someone over there in Taiwan was praying for you. (laughs) There was some, and when you get to heaven, God's going to show, hey, you thought you did it yourself. Let me show you the hundreds of people that prayed you into the family of God. You see, we, we, uh, it's he that made us and not we ourselves. God, uh, there's, you, God has called us. In fact, when you realize that God used others as ambassadors of his fetching grace to bring you, to fetch you into God's family, into God's palace, you realize like Paul says, I like what Paul says in Romans. He says, I'm a debtor to all men. You're in debt to other people. In the same way that someone prayed you in, you're in debt to pray others in. In the same way that someone spoke to you and gave you a gospel track or spoke to you about Jesus, you are in debt to do that for other people. Can you say amen? amen. We're ambassadors of God's fetching grace. Amen? So important to understand that. Well, look at the next screen. And I want to I call this our unstate. Comparing ourselves to Mephibosheth, this is our unstate. (laughs) Unstate. What do I mean by that? Well, first of all, considering Mephibosheth, he was unable to come to the king on his own. That's our first point I want to make. He was unable to come. Can you say amen to that? Does that come up there? there we go, unable to come. Well, Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth was a cripple. He didn't have any strength. He couldn't have come on his own. He was unable. In Romans 5, verse 6, it says, when we were yet without strength in due time, God sent his son. We were enemies of God captives to sin. In fact, it says we were dead in our sins, Ephesians 2 verse 1. So in the same way, we also are totally unable. Not only are we just crippled in our legs, but we're totally dead. Totally dead. Until the word comes that fetching grace comes and touches us. Amen. All right. Second thing, our unstate is unwilling you see not only was he not able to come to the king but he had no interest in coming he had no desire to come to the king he did not want to he was afraid Hebrews 2, verse 14 says that we're all in bondage subjects because of the fear of death. Not just death itself, but the judgment beyond knowing there's a judgment for sin. Something in our conscience. There's just basically a fear there. We're unwilling even to come to the king. The last name that Mephibosheth wanted to hear was King David. And when these fetching agents, fetching ambassadors of King David came knocking at Mephibosheth's door, there would have been just fear. Fear that struck down to his very heart because for years, that fear had been developing deep inside. Most people are afraid of God. They just feel God has it in for them. It's going to take fetching ambassadors like you and I to bring them in, compel them to. They may come kicking Remember the video I showed you last week? He, he didn't want to go. He was hiding. I'm sure Mephibosheth, he was so, I'm sure he was even trying to get away, trying to hide, trying to get. He didn't want anything to do with King David. He had no idea why these men were coming, that he wasn't even willing to go. So fetching grace helps us when we're, because we're unable. It helps us because we're unwilling. And finally, a third point, Unworthy. And really, he was worthy of death, his whole family. In fact, what you'll see later on uh, in the book of Second Samuel is that there was a famine that took place. That's an interesting thing to see also. And the reason why that famine had taken place was because King Saul who really was a miserable wretch of a man. And if you see in the Old Testament, many t- the way a man lived, his own sons and children after him, that says that that judgment would fall, uh, the iniquity of the, uh, to the third and fourth generation, and, and all that. So there was this judgment that came. And what happened is that King Saul had violated a covenant made about 400 and some years even before he was born. It was a covenant that Joshua had made with some Gibeonites. And... So what took place is that King Saul had killed some of those Gibeonites whenever a covenant had been made that they would be protected. Well, because of that, in David's day, Saul's already dead. But in David's day, the famine was there. And David says, why is this famine here? And God says, it's because of what Saul did. That's powerful. Think about that. Well, the way that was resolved and the way that was uh, dealt with is they actually took Saul's sons... The, any, all the ones that were left, and they hung them all. They, they killed them all. They slew the rest of Saul's family. But the Bible says very clearly, David spared Mephibosheth. What I'm saying by this is that the whole household of Saul was under the judgment of God. Mephibosheth was totally unworthy. And how many know that's our state also? Before we we're, We are not worthy of anything God has done for us. We are not worthy of it but it's his covenant love not based on our circumstances but based on that covenant made through his son 2000 years on the cross and even back beyond look at first peter chapter 1 first <clears throat> peter excuse me first peter in chapter 1 says this <clears throat> verse 19 First Peter one verse nineteen, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without without blemish and without spot. Verse twenty, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, before Adam and Eve ever sinned, it was already planned out. He but manifested in these last times for you. Verse twenty one. Who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. How many agree? This is, this is our, our state is an unstate before we came to Christ. Unable, unwilling, unworthy. That's our unstate, just like Mephibosheth. Well, I had a lot more I wanted to share tonight. Maybe if the Lord helps, maybe we can continue uh, at another time. But there's so much there in that story of Mephibosheth to help us understand the mercies of God. If you get a chance, read 2 Samuel. You'll see some other things towards the end of the chapter about Mephibosheth that are very interesting. And we'll talk about that. But let's, for now, let's all stand up. And and let's just humble ourselves before God. Right where you're at, humble yourself before God. You see... When you realize what his mercy has done, what a change in heart it'll produce in you. And there should be that automatic response. He apprehended me by his mercy. I want to get a hold of him. I want to touch his heart. I want to win his favor. And that should be our very response to him. Father, in Jesus' name, We just come before you and we humble ourselves, Lord, as we realize, God, what your mercy has done for us. First of all, that Hanan mercy, that compassion. You did stoop down, Lord, to the lowest depths, from the lowest hell, and you lifted us up. What a wonderful mercy. And your covenant love, that Hesed love, already established through your son Jesus before the world began. A covenant love that cannot be changed by circumstances. A covenant love full of fetching grace that came and reached out and got us in our state of, our, of weakness. We were unable. We couldn't come to you. You came to us in our state of unwillingness thought we could do it ourselves. Perhaps we're just too afraid to come, not understanding how much you love us. And our state of unworthiness, and yet your fetching grace came to reach us, Lord. Father, we thank you for that. We thank you for that fetching grace. And Lord, we consider ourselves in debt to others, Lord. We want to be ambassadors of that fetching grace. We want to be those that you send out, with that grace to bring others to compel them to come in to bring them in even if they're kicking and screaming Lord we want to bring them before you because we know what you did in our lives we remember the day you sent fetching grace ambassadors after us and you brought us into your banqueting table you brought us to seat us in the king's house as unworthy as we are just mephibosheths shameful things that we are and yet we find ourselves sitting at your table and eating with you oh god we thank you for it lord we're in debt to others lord use us with that fetching grace to reach others lord just thank you for doing it father bless the people here tonight lord thank you for bringing new souls lord Give us fresh hope and desire to win souls for you, to see your kingdom build up, to see more places at that table, like the, Mary, the story of the wedding, uh, wedding banquet that uh, there was still room, and so the king sent his servants out everywhere to bring him in. God, help us to see and help us, Lord, to be used of you, to fill up those empty spaces at that banqueting table, Lord. You brought us there. We want to bring others, So, oh God. Freely we received, freely we want to give. Thank you for blessing your people tonight, Lord, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you all.